We have a short video that we're going to watch. And then Van, our senior pastor, is going to be up in a moment. And he is going to continue with our summer series, Life in the Wild. So she's a, she's a special girl. She, she's been through some heartaches, too. I've been through some heartaches. I was married before. Um, you know, I, I married... Um, the person I was with in high school since I was like 15 years old, you know, um, that didn't work out unfortunately, but for me, um, I, I just trusted that God would do the healing process, would, would figure things out for me and just, you know, I, I, you know, I had gone through some ups and downs and all that. So I had to really, really focus on walking in the spirit and living in it. And so I met this girl named Sierra, who was, you know, most beautiful woman in the world. Um, she's the most kind person, the most engaging person. I could probably learn some more from her. Uh, so, you know, just everything that I, I could ever want. And, uh, and so I'll never forget, she was on tour. She was traveling and, um, and I, I was looking at her in the mirror. I was, you know, sitting in the dressing room. She was getting ready to go about 15 minutes before she went on stage. And, and, um, and she was sitting there and, and God spoke to me and said, I need you to, I need you to lead her. And I was like, Really? Right now, <laughs> you know, I was like, ah, and what does that mean? I'm looking at this, like, you know, and uh, he goes, "No, I, I want you and need you to lead her." And and so, anyways, I, I told her, I, I told her, you know, right then and there, I said, you know, what what would you what would you do if we took all that extra stuff off the table, you know, and just did it Jesus's way and make sure that, you know, and. And she was all, she was like, really Elab- do that? Elaborate what that means. Because there's a lot of people out here, their minds are going a whole, whole lot of different places right now. And uh, we want to know. Yeah, we're talking about sex. So, yeah, yeah, we want to know. So, you know, I, for me, for me um, I, I knew that God had brought me into her life to, to bless her and for her to bless me. And um, to bless so many people with the, with the impact that she has, that I have, we're not going to be perfect by any means. Like you know, it's not life's not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but he's 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 uh, anointed both of us. He, uh, I, I know that uh, he's calling for us to do something miraculous, something special. And I told her, I said that, um, I said to her, and she completely agreed. And it was is is the fact that um, could we love each other without that? If you can really love somebody without that, then you can really love somebody. Look at you. Yeah, isn't that cool? Um, how many of you know who Russell Wilson is? Any Seahawks fans here? Okay, we got a couple. Awesome, awesome. Well, you've got a good quarterback there. Uh, my son, my second son, Brent, who lives in North Carolina, went to North Carolina State when Russell Wilson was attending there before he transferred to, I think it was Wisconsin. And uh, Brent was in a class with Russell Wilson, and they were working on a project together, like three or four of them on this little team. And um, he said that he said he's a great guy. He just said that he was as nice and humble as could be. And you know, for a big time athlete, that's 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 not the common thing. That's kind of like the rarity. But uh, didn't you love it? He's sitting there saying, "God spoke to me." Did you hear that? Yeah, God spoke to me and said, I want you to lead her. And, you know, like we so often do, we're saying, huh? What? That, can you say that again, please? I'm not sure I got that. And, and then he knew immediately what God meant by that. And he just lays it all out, lays it all out on the table. And, um, you know, they, he, he's gotten a lot of criticism for this. I mean, hundreds and thousands of people on, uh, you know, on these chat rooms where, they're just saying he's crazy, he's crazy, he's crazy, and, and on and on and on. But, um, man, it took a lot of courage 
But it takes love for Jesus to stand up in a culture and to say, we're not going to do it the cultural way. Right? Doesn't it? It takes a lot of love for Jesus and trust in God to say, everything that I've been taught, well, maybe not everything, but so much of what I've been taught, and so many of the people I know are all flowing this direction, and they're going this way, and Jesus says to go this way, and I'm going to go this way. That takes courage, doesn't it? And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, he didn't say that because he's a control freak, all right? You know that. Do you know that? You know, Jesus is not a control freak. He didn't say that because he wants to be in charge. He said that because he's the son of the living God. He is the one who shows us everything we need to know about who God is. But he also is called the son of man. He was 100% God and 100% man. So he shows us everything we need to know about what we are and who we are. And so when Jesus says, nah, don't do that, it's not like he's just like, oh, just willy-nilly pulling rules, you know, this rule, that rule out of the air. It's not like that. It's like, no, wait a second. I understand what you were created for. I understand the destiny you have. And, And I know that if you go that direction, it's going to destroy it's going, to, it's going to hurt. It's going to harm. It's going to keep you from your destiny. It's not going to enable you to fulfill it. So do this. This is what you were made to do. You were made to live this way. And, and they're reflecting that just when he says, let's do this the Jesus way, okay? And, and we know, since the topic's kind of like out there right now, uh, sex, God created sex for marriage. And he created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve, male and female. And, and marriage is that lifelong bond that we enter into, where there's a commitment to each other before God and before others in, in our society, where we say, I'm committed to this person. And sex is the most powerful thing any two people can engage in, you know, as a couple. I mean, it's powerful. And so it's, it's something that God created for marriage. And so here they are. They're saying, well, yeah, we heard that. We heard God say that. And you know what? We're going we're gonna to do it that way. We're just going to follow him. Now, um, we're in this series, Life in the Wild. Okay? How many of you have been here for one of the other messages? Last three. This is the fourth message in the series. And uh, we, we called this series Life in the Wild because... If you're in the wild, in the real wilderness, just out there, there, there are threats. There are things that are going to come against you. Uh, just finding food, finding sustenance, av- avoiding some of the larger predators that are out there in the wild. Avoiding falling down and twisting your ankle while you're out there all by yourself in the wilderness. and you can't. There are a lot of threats and a lot of dangers in the wild. And we took that as a parallel to the Christian life and, and living the Christian life, following Jesus, having Jesus in us, being changed, renewed people with the Holy Spirit in us, and yet not being perfect people yet, and living in a world that is broken, that we encounter a lot of, lot of tough stuff out there, a lot of hardship. And how do we go through it? And, and how, how do we... How do we keep on going? We, we even asked this simple question to kind of like frame the whole, frame the whole thing. We asked the question, 
of uh, why is it that you'll see two people come to faith in Jesus and they, they both, you, you obvious that Jesus has impacted their life or it appears to be obvious. And they, they're both going along and they both hit some trouble or some heartache or lose a job or lose a, a relational breakdown or some health or financial difficulty. And one of them keeps going. And keeps pressing on and presses through that and comes the out, other, out the other side stronger and loving Jesus more. Whereas the other one just kind of uh, drops, drops by the wayside and doesn't go on in faith or uh, you know, maybe even rejects the faith altogether or, or uh, just kind of settles back into some form of Christian kind of like Western culture, American Christian, Christian apathy. You know where there's not really uh, where, where there's not really any vibrancy or life uh, to to the person's life, and the question we asked is, what's the difference? What is it that enables that one person to press through and the other person not? Now, in answering that question, I, I want you to know, and I hope you know, that there aren't a list of answers. It's not like you can turn to one place in the Bible and say, oh, well, it's these five things. Boom, 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 boom. And if we get those, then there's not a list of answers. Uh, There's not like a pat answer to this question. And so what we're trying to do in this series is share just some of the things that God's giving to us, some of the things that God's put into us as leaders or as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, and, and to bring those to you. And so we'll be bringing out several things over the course of these weeks, like uh, read the Bible, of course, that's, that's a key thing, but it's not, it's not like the thing that, that keeps a person from stumbling. Uh, dealing with bitterness in our hearts, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, dealing with disappointment and things like that. But um, there, there aren't pat answers, but there are answers. Okay, and so as the Holy Spirit ministers to us today, I just want to pray that He will give us each something today that we'll be able to carry out of here. That that it'll be something that He implants in us, that, that He releases to be in us, that is going to enable us to walk with greater joy and confidence as as we uh, move ahead in the Christian life. So I want to pray right now and uh, pray with me. Let's just ask God for that right now. So, Father, um, as, we, as we come together and we're pondering this question, and, Father, uh, truth be told, we've probably all seen someone that has um, struggled uh, because of some issue they've faced and, and fallen by the wayside. And, and maybe some of us have, Lord. Uh, you know, maybe some of us have stumbled at times and then gotten back up and kept going. Or, Lord, maybe some of us uh, kind of drifted away from you in the midst of a painful time and haven't even uh, haven't haven't found our way back yet, but Lord, we we just ask for your grace today. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we just ask that you would work in each of our lives today. I pray, Father, a release of your presence, Holy Spirit, come and just work in every one of our lives right at the point that we need you to touch us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as I was uh, thinking about this message and working through w- what exactly, what, what part of it I was going to take hold of today, the Lord really uh, brought to my mind and caused me to focus on the early days of my own relationship with Christ. And, um, and not that 
that uh, these, these truths I'm going to share with you only apply to the early days, okay? This is not like basic Christianity, but I want to share with you some of the things that uh, God revealed to me early on that has really sustained me and continues to sustain me. And so the truths that we're sharing in this message uh, series are not only for the new believer, but they're for all of us to keep us trusting God and to keep us moving ahead and loving God more. So let me just uh, start by giving you a little bit of my story. I, I grew up uh, going to Sunday school in a small Baptist church. Only while well, my sister went for a while, but then I ended up being the one that went. And uh, my family did not attend church on a regular basis. We weren't uh, really church people. Uh, although a couple times a year, my parents would go and would go to church. So I learned a lot about the Bible and about the stories of the Bible. But um, as, as I grew, I, uh, my life took a turn a different direction. I made some choices that, uh, that, that put me on a track that resulted ultimately in me flunking out of college. My, after my second year, I flunked out. Anybody here know what flunked out means? It means your grades are so... Oh, okay, so... Can I ask this? How many other people here have flunked out of college? I just love to see. Oh, thank you, thank you. Okay, anybody else? Come on, nobody on this side. All right, I need the encouragement, folks. All right, it's it's like your grades are so bad they tell you you can't come back, and uh, so that happened. And so uh, I, you know, I, I was you know I was hurting over that because I'm I you know I'm, I have the ability to get good grades if I study, but. Uh, it was just the life I was leading that uh, led to that. And so I'm living at home with my parents and continuing on in the same kind of lifestyle, but really trying hard to hide it from them. And uh, one night went downtown and none of my buddies were around. So I went home and um, turned the TV on and Billy Graham was on. Who knows Billy Graham? Okay. A lot of you do. Uh, for those of you that might not, he was a, a great evangelist, still is, uh, still, still alive today, but great evangelist of um, past generation. And um, he was on TV, and uh, I didn't want to watch him. He just happened to come up on the channel that was on. And, you know, we had just gotten cable TV. And so we had, how many channels do you think? We had gone from three to 12. It was like heaven. <laughs> We've got 12 channels, and they all come in clear. They're not dependent upon an antenna. And so it was just incredible. And um, have you ever heard that joke? The, you know, the, 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 the old adage about the parent that says to their kid, when I was a kid, we had to walk to school 12 miles each way, both uphill. And, you know, how hard life was. Well, my generation says, when I was a kid, we had to get up and walk all, across, all the way across the room to change the channel. So... I had to get up and walk across the room and it had a little dial and I switched it all the way around and nothing on that I wanted to watch. I ended up back on Billy Graham and for some reason, uh, like God tugging my heart, I sat back and I started to listen and um, it came in about halfway through his message and by the end of the message, uh, it, it was just like, I felt so stinking guilty. I felt so under conviction. 
uh, for the way I had been living. And I'd had a dream uh, just a, a couple weeks before that where in this dream, I was standing in my parents' backyard and Jesus came down out of the sky. He was like Sunday school Jesus in a robe with a beard, which I, I don't know that he actually looks like he, those pictures. Um, but uh, he floated down out of the sky and right in front of me and he looked at me and he said, I know where you were last night and I know what you were doing. And that was all. It, was not, it wasn't like condemning. It was just like informative. <laughs> kind of like if my dad had said, hey, uh, you know, over dinner, boy, I know, I know where you were last night. And, and so that, that was kind of like priming my heart. But um, at the end of this message, he's talked about receiving Jesus. And I knew about receiving Jesus, but I had planned on reserving that for the end of my life. I thought when I'm in my 60s, I literally thought when I'm about the age I am now and I've lived life and life is just about over. Okay. I thought, you know, I'll accept Jesus then. And um, so I'm, I mean, this is a very big thing happening right now in my mind as I'm listening and I'm thinking, well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, maybe you know, maybe I should do it now while I'm 20 instead of waiting until I'm in my mid-60s. And as I thought that, then I thought this. I knew, I knew that if I said I was going to receive Jesus, that there are going to have to be things changed in my life. Because I knew the Bible. And I knew to love Jesus means to obey Jesus. And uh, so I'm saying, God, I don't even know any other Christians. How could I ever change? And the Lord spoke to me and said, don't worry, I'll take care of all that. And so I said, good enough. If, if you'll take that on, then I'll take this on. And I prayed and invited Jesus into my heart. And I got to tell you, what I experienced was this incredible relief from guilt. It was like, um, you know, like a couple weeks ago, I was hauling uh, bags of dirt uh, and gravel for some work around the house. You put two of those on your shoulders, you got, okay. When I was younger, I used to put two on my shoulders. I have to admit, the other day when I did this, I put one on my shoulder and carried it. But it was still heavy, all right? But I felt like I had one on each shoulder, and and it was just guilt weighing me down. But when I invited Jesus into my heart, that was just lifted. It was gone. And I felt free, just this incredible freedom from guilt. It was amazing. Just an amazing thing. I... uh, uh, to illustrate this, I, a couple weeks ago, we were back uh, in my home area for a wedding. One of my nieces, uh, niece was married. And uh, on one day, I was taking a couple of my kids around and their spouses and showing them the old places I used to hang out and, and, uh, and such. And I drove past the old family farm, which is no longer in, owned by our family, but uh, the last Cochran to own the farm was my great uncle, Audley Cochran. And I had known Uncle Audley pretty well in his life. He farmed until he was 88, had cows and the whole deal. And, um, and I got to know Uncle Audley pretty well in the last uh, five, six years of his life. And uh, so I wanted to show them the house, and this was the old homestead from my dad's days. And we go up to the house, and in, in, uh, the house is abandoned now. And really, it's one of those kind of houses you'd see in a movie where someone's going to get chopped up with an axe at the end of the movie. And you have to go into it because it's a storm and you have no choice. It just looked like that. 
And, and so it was raining, but I said, don't go up on the porch. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to disturb anything in the basement, but, uh, you know, I mean, maybe Uncle Wadley's still down there, you know, the, okay, let's bring this back together here. Uh, okay. The house is in bad shape. The barn's still functional. And, uh, so we walked across the street and, you know, took a quick look at the barn and, uh, you know, didn't mess with it cause someone's using it. But, uh, it was one of these old barns. If you've ever been out and, and seen barns, uh, a lot of barns back in Pennsylvania, especially in other hilly territory will have an upper level that you can enter into. And then they'll have a lower level because it's built on a hill that you can enter into. And, um, that, that's, was this kind of barn and that lower level is built back into the hill. And I've been in those before, very dark back in there, very dank, not a nice place to, not a nice place to hang out. But my dad um, told me that he remembered at that barn as a boy, the something that would happen every spring. And he said that there were, there were calves that were born in the winter, winter born calves. I think that's the terminology he used. This was many years ago that would be born in the winter and they're born in weather where they can't go outside. And so they lived in the barn for months. And I kind of picture them in that lower level back in the dark place, you know, where this is warm as can be. And he said that on the day that winter would break and it would be nice enough to let the calves out, the first time they came out of that dark, dank basement of the barn and they, the doors were open and they came out. He said it was an amazing thing to see because he said they would run and they would jump up in the air and they'd, they'd kick up their heels and they'd smell everything and everything is new and fresh and beautiful. And sometimes they would run around, even they, they'd jump up and high five each other and, you know... You know, actually, it, w- it would be a high two because they just have, you know, split hooves, okay. Yeah. But they were, they were so, it was just freedom, just freedom. And that's how I felt when I accepted Jesus. I just felt like, wow, I can know God. I can be free from all this guilt. I don't have to live that way anymore. I can, I can move away from living that way. But it's just, it was just a, a, a phenomenal thing that happened. And um, I read the Bible, um, and, and, and yet there were a few things that I, a few choices I made that actually led to a, a real uh, hard fall that I had a couple months later. And uh, even though I was reading the Bible, I didn't really have a grasp of God's ways. Okay, do you know that? You know, you can, you can read and study and you see bits and pieces and parts, but you haven't been around long enough to put the picture together. And the second thing was really vitally important. I didn't tell anyone that I'd become a Christian. I accepted Jesus all by myself in that living room. Uh, parents were gone, no one at home. I didn't tell anyone. So I didn't have any relationship with any other believers to explain stuff to me, to help me to understand, to say, hey, it's okay what's happening there. Just trust God with that. You can trust God with that thing. I didn't have anybody like that. And so I, and further, I had no concept of spiritual warfare. And so uh, I, you know, I went for a couple of months in, in this just great freedom and, and, and kind of like winding down a little bit from that period, I ended up one day, high school football game, I remember it as clear as day, I'm watching the team play, my old friends are scattered around, 
And um, just like this darkness came over me, just like a cloud of darkness just descended on me. And I didn't know at the time anything about spiritual warfare, but I look back on it now and I know it was spiritual warfare. Probably some natural stuff too involved in that, just some of the ways I was thinking opened me up to this, this attack. But I just remember sitting there and just suddenly moving from feeling so good about knowing Jesus to feeling hopeless. And feeling like, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And how, how's my life going to unfold living for Jesus? I don't know what's going to happen and what, what use is it? And that night, I ended up going downtown. And a couple of my friends had some drugs and stuff that, we, you know, that I had been into before. They had never done and in my twisted thinking, you know, and I got to tell you, some of you, sometimes you really have to be careful in this twisted thinking of what you owe other people. Because in my twisted thinking right then, I thought these guys have never done acid. I can't let them go off and do it on their own. I've got to be a good friend. I know how to handle this. I've got to go with them. And if I'm going to go with them, I probably ought to do it too. And... Any of you ever think that way? Okay, this is just a side note. But listen, be careful. Don't take up responsibility for other people for choices they need to make. You know, don't, don't feel like you're responsible to fix their bad choices. You know, we're, we're here to serve and love people, but not to compromise myself in order to try to help them. And so at any rate, that, that was a crash. I mean, I crashed hard for the next couple of months. My viewpoint was, well, okay, I gave Jesus a shot and I turned away from him and now he's mad at me and I'm sure he's rejected me and I'm going to hell. And I actually, at one point that night, expected the floor to crack open and swallow me alive into hell. But I, I was, so I was in that frame of mind then for a few months. But you know what? I, even though I slipped back into that old lifestyle, I, you know, I'd never really been happy in that lifestyle. It was a lot of adventure, but it was never happy. And now, not only am I not happy with what I'm doing, but now, unknown to me, Jesus had stuck with me. <laughs> he was still in me. He hadn't left like I thought he had. And so I'm doing this old stuff, but I'm a new person. And I didn't understand that. And Jesus is in me. So there's this angst in me that's just like I'm being torn up inside because I'm making all these wrong decisions. And yet I I don't even think Jesus is there. And yet he really is there. And he's, do you understand what I'm saying? And so after a a couple months of that, I I saw on the TV guide that Billy Graham was going to be on one night. And um, I decided maybe I had to go home and watch Billy Graham. Maybe I had to do that. And I was downtown with my friends, and I knew Billy Graham was coming on, and, and, and this unrest in me. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to just watch Billy Graham and see what happens. So I had to tell my friends I was leaving the group, and why am I leaving the group? And I'm going to tell my friends, I'm going to go watch Billy Graham. They would have thought I was crazy, or they would have known something was up. And so what I did was I cussed. And I, you know, cussed, and I said, yeah, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to watch bleeping Billy Graham. And, yeah. So, that's what they did. They laughed. They said, oh, Van, you're so cool. 
you're a cool guy, man. It's okay. It's okay if you go watch Billy Graham if you're going to cuss about it. That's all right. <laughs> and so I went home and, uh, you know, you think about this. Do, do you ever, do you, do you know how merciful God is? I mean, really, do you know his mercy, his grace, his mercy is so incredible. I mean, here I am, I'm about to experience something that will change my life and I'm cussing about it. But you know what? Jesus didn't like get up from his throne and come over to the edge of heaven and look down and kind of like tapping his foot and, you know, scowling. He, he wasn't doing that. You know, if anything, here's what I picture happening. You know, the Bible says that the angels long to understand salvation, that they don't quite get it. They long to understand what really happened on the cross and what happens with us when we accept Jesus. I mean, they can't experience, so they don't experience the same thing. So they long to understand it. I kind of picture Jesus sitting on the throne and I just cussed and it was just like I was cussing Jesus. And so there's some angels there and their eyes are perking up and they're looking over at Jesus and saying, you know, do you want us to go down and and take care of this guy. I, I picture Jesus saying to, hey, hey, guys, come here, come here. Look, you know, you guys want to understand salvation. I will, take a look. You see what he just did? You see that? I'm not even mad at him. Do you know why? Because I already paid for that. Do you know that? You guys, can you guys, do you guys understand that? Like, you remember when I was on the cross and they put the spear in my side and they twisted it? That extra twist was for that. Yeah. And it was for you. It was for you. That extra twist was for you. His mercy is so great. His grace is so unbelievable. I mean, how how can we get beyond it? I was coming to understand it. I was beginning to. It's taking taking time, but uh, so I go home and um, I'm watching Billy Graham again intentionally this time. I turned the channel to the. I turned to his channel, and he talked about Jesus uh, being tempted in the wilderness. And if you don't know, uh, Jesus lived 30 years just as any one of us. He was a carpenter, carpenter's apprentice, then a carpenter, and. You know, carpenter in that day didn't necessarily mean woodworker. It was a stonemason also. So Jesus was a, a muscled guy because he worked with big pieces of stone. And um, um, after 30 years, he entered into his ministry. He had been the Messiah all along, but he, he was entering into his messianic ministry now. And one of the very first things that happened was he went out into the wilderness. He spent 40 days there. Do you know 40 days in that wilderness would kill most of us, even if we took a a truckload of food with us? And he's out there in that wilderness 40 days without food. No food the whole time. Praying, seeking God, communing with God. But the whole time, and after, you know, if you fast, you go through this season of fasting 
where you're hungry and then the hunger starts to diminish. But they say that around 40 days it, it ramps back up again and it becomes like killer hunger. And that's the point that you're really, really starving. And so here Jesus is after 40 days. He is really starving now. I mean, he's starving physically where he can feel pain because of his hunger. But he's also literally starving. And Satan comes to him. And actually, Satan was tempting him the whole way along. But these are the big three things that we read about. Satan comes to him. And and he says, Jesus... What is going on? You have power. You could turn these stones into bread and eat them and be live. I mean, the Bible doesn't record this, but I kind of imagine the undertone of this was, you're the Messiah. If you die here right now, what good was it that you came? You've got to live. But you see, here's the problem. Jesus had made an agreement with God the Father. They had a covenant. And that covenant was that Jesus would become a human being. And when he entered Mary's womb and and he, the second person, the eternal person, was joined with human DNA in a a union that uh, is so great that they have a word for it called hypostatic. The hypostatic union of man with God. And we don't understand it, but he became human. He, was, he entered Mary's womb and he was born and he lived as a full human being. And so he was fully 100% God, but also fully 100% human. And the agreement with God, the covenant was, I'll come and I will live as a human. I will not use my power as the son of God because that, that would make me not Human, I wouldn't be able to identify with the human race then. And so he had already agreed that he's not going to do stuff just out of his own power to satisfy himself. And God the Father hadn't said, hey, take those stones and turn them into bread. And so for Jesus to do that would have been a violation of his, of his basic uh, premise in coming into the world to identify with humanity so he could die on the cross for humanity and take back what humanity had given away, which is this planet and the human race, to take it back. He was here to take the kingdom back. And so Jesus knew he couldn't, he couldn't give in to that temptation. But what happened that really impacted me and really rocked me was this, Jesus' answer to Satan. Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said to Satan... In, uh, we're going to read from Matthew, Matthew 4, 4. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So first, Jesus answered with scripture. He answered with scripture, with truth, with the Bible. And second, what he answered was profound. He said, look, we're not here just to, just to survive physically we live on more than bread. I need, I need obedience to God. If I'm going to live, if I'm going to really live, then I need spiritual food. I, I, and I'm living right now on the basis of obeying the word of God. That's why I'm here right now. And that's the rhema of God. You know, there are two words in the New Testament, logos and rhema, two main words that are used for word. And logos refers to the eternal truth about who God is that was expressed through Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was the word. It says the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. 
And so Jesus is the communication of who God is. So everything we need to know about God, we see in Jesus. But Jesus was also called not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man, which means everything we need to know about us, we see where? In Jesus. In Jesus. And so he's saying that he needs the Word of God to live. And when he speaks this word, it, it, this verse, he uses the word rhema, which means a specific statement from God. I think it's the best way to, to put it. It's like a speci- specific word from God, a specific thing God says. You know, like when Russell Wilson's sitting there and God said, I need you to lead her. That was like a rhema. That was like a, a prophetic revelation, a moment where God spoke into his moment with something that he needed to hear in order to be what he wanted to be, what Jesus wanted him to be. That's what a rhema word is. It's like this. This book, the Bible, uh, it, it, it's inerrant in its original writings. I don't believe there are any mistakes in the Bible. Uh, and yet the Bible, the word of God is not the print. It's not the ink on the paper and the leather cover. It, it's the expression of God's truth. And And the Bible expresses God's truth to us, but the book itself is different from the expression of that truth. Does that make sense? And the rhema is when God takes his truth and he speaks to us specifically and individually. It's like I could read 10 chapters of the Bible. Every word I've read is God's truth. Every word I've read is the word of God. But let's say in the ninth chapter, halfway through, there's one verse that says, uh, take heart, for I'm with you. And in my context of what I'm experiencing at that moment in time, those words come alive to me. It's just like, what? You know, all the rest of this I've read, and it's good, and it's interesting, and it's true, and it's feeding my soul. But then I read that, and it's like, oh, it takes your breath away. And that's, that's the rhema of God speaking specifically to us. And, and we just, we need to be open to that. We need to be saying, God, speak to me. God, I'm going to read. I'm not going to just read the devotional today. I'm going to read until you speak to me. There was one man that said that that's how he did his devotions. He read through the Bible and he read until God spoke to him. Until there was a verse that God just brought to life. And then he said, I just stop on that. If that's after two verses, that's where I stop. If that's after 10 chapters, that's where I stop. And I just pray about that and think about that and invite God to work in my life around that. And that's what Jesus is saying here is that, that the word of God will feed our souls and will in, in, empower our lives. But to, to take it that step further, the word of God also rebuffs the enemy. Two more times Jesus faced great temptations. Every time, Bible, scripture, Jesus speaking truth that applied to the moment in faith. And that rebuffed the enemy. And for me, at that moment in my life, I thought, okay, there's hope for me. There's hope. I can learn the Bible. I can believe the Bible. I can use scripture. And I remember shortly after that, um, I, I was quitting smoking. Well, whatever you think about smoking is, is not relevant to this. I, I was quitting smoking cigarettes. And, and, um, and I, was, I was standing beside a friend of mine who had a pack of uh, Marlboros, you know, those old hard packs. And uh, I don't know if they still have those or not, but he had it sitting on the pinball machine. 
And I hadn't smoked a cigarette for a couple weeks. And I was really, really wanting a cigarette. And I know he would have given me one. It was just sitting right there. All I had to do was say, hey, can I have a smoke? And uh, he, would, he would have said something derogatory about bumming a cigarette from him. But he would have given me one. And uh, you know what I mean? Uh, well, why don't you go buy some of your own, but go ahead. Um, and I remember standing there and, and wanting it so bad, but then remembering verses of Scripture. You know, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. By this time, I had memorized some of these verses. And uh, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear up under it. And I'm standing there, and I'm, and I'm just I'm declaring these verses to myself, and strength comes into me. And I'm able to walk away from it. And so th- that all came from hearing this message uh, that Billy Graham gave that night. And uh, it, it, it revolutionized my life. It changed my life. So uh, we, we speak truth. We speak truth. That's why we're doing declarations now, trying to make them just real simple biblical truth. Because when I speak truth, uh, you know, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, deep calls out to deep. When I speak truth, I'm speaking something that comes out of the depth of the heart of God. Because Jesus said here that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, which means it comes out of the heart of God. And so I speak something that's coming from the heart of God. And I've already accepted Jesus. So he's already changed my heart. And I have him in me. And I'm speaking something that comes from his heart. And what that does is it draws out what he's already put in me in my heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm learn, starting to learn some of these things at this point, and it, uh, it was just revolutionary for my life. Now, about that time, I went back to that little church that I had grown up in, and um, they had a, an interim pastor, a guy that was just there for a few months, but uh, he kind of took me under his wing and did some great things. He, he was the one that got me to start actually memorizing scripture. And he would explain things to me, give me perspective of God's thinking, which I needed. And one of the things he did, though, that was so, uh, so powerful for me, he gave me missionary books to read. And so he gave me books about people who had traveled halfway around the world to share the gospel with people that had never heard about Jesus. And I got to read their stories. And I got to read about the commitment it took for them to do that and, and the struggles that they went through and how they persevered and how they just laid everything on the line. And I, one in particular, I remember, uh, a group that had left Europe to, to uh, come to an island. I think it was in the Caribbean. It might have been in the South Pacific. I can't remember which. But they, they, a group of them had come and moved into this island to, to evangelize. And this was a, a very primitive tribal uh, group there. And when they got there, they encountered things. They encountered disease and stuff they hadn't experienced before and hard, hardships of life. And after a few years, all of them had died except one man. And this man lost his wife and children in that process. Now, I mean, it's time to pack up and go home, isn't it? I mean, isn't, that's, this, that, that's time to say, okay, it's not God's will. God's not leading us this direction, obviously. But this guy stayed. He stayed for 20 years. And it wasn't until 20 years that he saw a convert. 
And then he saw one, and then he just saw this massive revival take place. And I was just amazed. I was stunned by reading that. Now, you need to realize up to this time, my hero in life, even in my early Christian days, I think I hadn't thought through it until this moment, but, or till, the, till that moment. But uh, my hero was Clint Eastwood. Anybody remember those little black cigars he smoked and how cool he was? Man, I wanted to be like that. I mean, my dad too, but that's what my dad was like. Where Clint Eastwood was like him, I think, because he was older than Clint Eastwood. But uh, um, here, here I'm reading this, and, it, and it's like I, you know, I come to a point in my life where it's like, move over, Clint. You know, <laughs> you're no longer my hero. I have a new hero. Here's a man who is willing to go out and sacrifice everything for the sake of the kingdom, and not give up. But persevere through trial and hardship because he knew God was good. And he knew that he had a destiny. He had a destiny that was good. Remember, uh, Russell talks about their destiny. We're going to do it the Jesus way because we have a destiny. We want to fulfill that destiny. You know, as a believer in Christ, you have a destiny. You're new. You're a new creation. If you've accepted Jesus, you are new. And that means... That old doesn't count anymore. Now, I'm not saying that if you've been planning on being a doctor all along, that God didn't put that in you, and now you've accepted Jesus, and you're going to be a doctor that honors Jesus. I don't mean that. But the destiny he has for you has shifted in quality and essence, and perhaps even in absolute in, in direction and trajectory. But he has a destiny for you. If you're new, then there's a new destiny. And to me, the question would arise then, well, how do I get there? How do I get to that destiny? I mean, have you ever had a prophetic word someone gives you that is great and awesome and, and, and you love it? And I've had this happen where a prophetic word that, well, you're going to have, you're going to do this and it's going to impact the kingdom this way and it's going to change this whole part of the whatever. And, and boy, that's great. And I embrace that. But how do I get from here to there? Do you ever think about that? Like you have a destiny, but well, how do I get to that destiny? What do I do? What do I do? What if I make a bad turn? What if I make a wrong turn? What if someone else makes a wrong turn? What if the girl I'm supposed to marry marries somebody else before I get to her, and then my whole life is messed up? I mean... You know, what, what, what if I just miss, what if I miss it? What if I hear God speak, but I don't hear him or I misunderstand him? What if I miss my destiny? Look, here's a verse that uh, Pastor Smith had me memorize that answers that question. This is Romans eight twenty eight. Romans eight twenty eight says this. We know that God causes all things. All right, stop right there. If you took that phrase, God causes all things, this translation, the way it's written, and then you walked away and said, well, God causes all things. So if you're that guy on that island and your wife just died, well, God killed my wife. I don't know why he did that, but he did. And God killed my children. I don't know why he did that, but he did. No, no, God, God's not in the business of killing, stealing, and destroying. That's the devil's job, okay? That's what it says. Jesus said... The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And in Acts 10.38, it summarizes the whole ministry of Jesus when it says he went about doing good. 
And then it describes what the good was. He went around delivering all those and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. And so Jesus brings life and freedom. And what this is saying is everything that happens, even the things that that aren't from God, even if that other person lies about you and defames your character and and you lose your job, even if you make a bad decision and you end up in, in, in a spot you don't want to be in, whatever it might be, he's saying all things, God is so big, he can take that mistake of yours when you yield it to him and he can just nuance the whole thing and put you right back on track. And the mistake the other person makes, he just blows that away. He's so great that he can use anything that happens in our lives to move us in the direction of his purpose for us, of his, the character that he has for us. And if you read this context, it's all talking about us becoming more like Jesus. And so that's destiny. So what do I have to do to fulfill my destiny? Well, let's read on in this verse. We know that God is so great that he can cause anything that happens to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Well, I have to be called, but I can't call myself. That's something God does. So that's what he's done. He's called us to Jesus. He has a call, a destiny for each of our lives. What do I do? It's for those who what? Love God. Love God. That's my job right there. Love God. Okay. So what that means, love God. All right, God, I'm going to love you. Am I going to love him perfectly? Nah, I'm not. I'm not. But am I going to love him? Yes. Am I going to love him daily? Yes. What does that, well, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it does. Gets back to the Russell Wilson, let's do it the Jesus way. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to love you and I'm going to trust you. You know so much. You are so good. You, you, you know the direction that's wrong and you know the direction that's right. You know the path that if I take that path, it'll move me away from my destiny. Although you can turn me back on the right trail. I know that. I don't want to do that. I want to go your way. You know the path that will move me towards your destiny. I want to love you, Jesus. And so we love him and just demonstrate that through simple obedience. And when we fail, you know, it's just, okay, Jesus, you're right. That was wrong. I shouldn't have. Thank you for dying for that. Thank you that you died for that, 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 that thought I just had or that decision I just made. And we, just, we trust him, and he keeps moving us ahead to our destiny. Now, getting that truth was something that sustained me, and it was something that sustains me to this day. And I, I really believe it's something that God wants to deposit in each of our hearts so that we leave here with a new strength and with a new ability to say, you know, God, whatever happens, I'm going to trust you because you are good. And every day I'm going to love you and obey you. And I'm going to move in the direction of my destiny. I'm going to fulfill it because you're the one that is fulfilling it. You're the one that's moving me that direction. Isn't that good? That's good. It's good stuff. So I'm going to pray. And uh, yeah, man, wait till we worship. Wait, wait till we worship and you, and, and we go through this worship set. I just told somebody we're going to peel the paint off the ceiling today. Um, listen, God's presence is here and, uh, and he delights when we turn our hearts to him and we just say, Jesus, Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And that's what we're going to do right now for the next, uh, half hour, I guess. And, uh, Lee's going to come up. The worship team is going to come out. So they're already doing that. And I'm going to walk down here.
Okay, well, in a moment, we are going to enter into worship. We're going to do that two ways. And um, the first way is through our giving. So just give, you know, we give through our hearts. And then the second way is through raising our voices to God in song. But before we do that, um, in a minute, I'm going to ask you all to stand. And we are going to say the declaration that we've been using these last few weeks. We're going to do that from our hearts. And then when that's done, have a seat. We'll ask the ushers forward, and they'll receive the offering. And when you're ready, um, you can either stand after that um, the offering plate has gone past you, or come forward. We'd love to have you come forward and really, um, really tell God how much you love him. So I'm going to read the declaration if you want to stand. Okay. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Because I am in you and you are in me, I am also God's light to the world. Thank you, God, for meeting all my needs so that I have more than enough to give to your kingdom. I give to honor your desire and purpose to spread the light of the gospel of Jesus throughout the world. Amen. Okay, if you just want to have a seat for a moment, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. We'll receive the offering. And just want to give a short blessing. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we, we do give from, from the depths of our heart our first fruits of our labor, Lord. And as we sing to you today, Father, um, sweet love songs, may it bless your ears. We ask all this in your present son's name. Amen. <laughs> 